You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hello, I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And you're listening to the Australian Finance Podcast. A podcast where we talk about money, finance, investing, and all that good stuff. We're helping you invest your time and money better one podcast episode at a time. Yes, so please subscribe if you like the series. And don't forget you can find us on social media. We're on all the platforms. Kate, where can people go? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rask Australia. That's R-A-S-K Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter or Owen Rask AU on Instagram. Beware the imitators. People like to copy us. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode. Hey, Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is wonderful to be back, Owen. It is because we're talking property, we're talking uh, mortgages, we're talking probably the, the most important asset in every listener's lives, which is property with Chris Bates. Chris, welcome to the show, mate. Okay, love chatting to you guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the invite. Great, great to have you back, mate. Since um, since we last spoke, you told us off air just a few minutes ago that you were voted number five in Australia So uh, as a mortgage broker, which is just outrageous. It's so good, mate. Um, and having used your services before as a client, I can I can vouch for it. Um, did you expect it? Oh, we had a massive year. I mean, that's based on revenue numbers in terms of, well, I guess settlement numbers in terms of loans settled. So we had a big year. We knew we'd be up there. We came 11th last year and, um, yeah, we climbed a few places to fifth. So, yeah, massive effort by our team. And, yeah, we've got a much bigger team, so that helps us to keep on writing more and helping more people, really. That's ultimately what it is. We helped probably 250, you know, couples and families this year and maybe the year before it was like probably around 200 or 180. So, yeah, we'd love to help more people. That's what we're uh, we're here for, and it's um yeah, it's been a good year. Yeah, cool. So we'll put a link in the show notes to Wealthful, um, and people can visit the website as well. But um, they can. How does it normally work, Chris? So just real quick, um, for those people that haven't seen a mortgage broker, maybe they went like like Kate and went direct to a bank or something like that. When you um see a mortgage broker, like what's the first port of call? Do you like call them or do you drop any? Like is there like a form that you're filling? Like how does it work? 
Well, I think you can call them definitely. Sometimes you're going to catch them off guard and um, they may not have the time to, <laughs> to deal with you like then and there. Like, and I think that's if it was me engaging a professional, I'd want to get in a, a book time in their diaries. So probably email them or, or call them and book a time or, you know, sometimes I've got calendar links, et cetera. Um, and then, yeah, just have a chat. Don't be intimidated by the process. You know, 70% of loans go through brokers now. Um, as long as you pick one of the ones that are probably more active, you know, and someone who's actually up to date with everything that's happening. Um, yeah. And just get to pick their brain and figure out what you can do to improve your situation, how does servicing work and um, what can you borrow and how much deposit do you need and how does lenders mortgage insurance. You Really, it's an education process you want to go down. Um, and so, yeah, there's never too early, to be honest, as well. Mm. Um, because, you know, sometimes change takes time. And so, you know, it might need you to, um, yeah, you might as well start working on it now. Yeah, I, I like that. Definitely. Like, it's probably never too soon, as you said. I think that's the key thing. Even if you're not buying right now, it's probably, your broker probably doesn't want you to be buying right now when they get a call out of the blue and say, hey, I need financing and I'm buying next week. Yeah. <laughs> not a good, yeah, not like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Chris, now we know forecasting is a fool's errand and we shouldn't be believing everything in the headlines, but I don't know if you've had any thoughts about what the property market and what the situation for buyers and sellers and investors is going to look like in 2023. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We On our podcast, we do a full forecast report and absolutely we think forecasting is more likely <laughs> than fools uh, and it's uh, more luck than skill, right? And we, we all know mm-hmm. that. Talk about that last on your podcast. Um, I think what your first thing you've got to do with the property market, though, is to not go and look for forecasts, right? No, no, don't open up the media and expect someone like, you know, is going to know what's happening to every property mm-hmm. in the country because it's not like shares per se. It's, you know, 10 plus million properties out there and they all are performing differently. So when you've got the Australian property market, then you've got your capital cities, then you've got your regional towns, then you've got um, the more affluent areas and you've got the outskirts, you've got houses, apartments, you've got townhouses, mm-hmm. um, you've got things on busy roads, things on quiet roads, etc. So, you know, it's all about micro markets in property. Um, and what we're seeing though as a trend is, you know, absolutely there's been a big repricing event, you know, um, mainly down to the real shock that interest rates jumped from zero to three percent in under six months, right? And everyone thought they were going to go up in 2024, if you believe what the RBA was saying, right? So mm. that 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 is just a like a um I guess a freak out event, really. Basically, everyone's going, How much? Oh, wow, rates are going to go up. How high are they going to go? How does that affect my borrowing capacity? What can I still buy that? Should I buy, etc.? And that's what happened, you know, June, July, August, September. Um, what we saw from October, November time is most of the capacity, borrowing capacity falls have happened. Um, rates aren't going to go from 3% to 6% at the RBA. Um, and people have already adjusted their budget. So they still have a lifestyle need, they still want to own a place. They still want to have a family or have got a family. They need security and stability long term. But they've gone through a, a readjustment of their budget um, because they have to because of the, the banks. But also they want to because they're going, well, I don't really want to go in all this amount of debt if rates are going to be 5 or 6%. I, I was more happy to do that when rates were 2 or 3%, right? Mm. So that appetite for debt's changed. So what we're seeing is though that, you know, that, Three, four months ago, it was really those opportunistic buyers are in the market. Then the must-do upgrader and the and the, the really uh, must-do first-home buyer, I guess someone who really wants to buy it, started entering the market. And now it's getting a bit further on from that. And I think the person who's thinking, oh, I do need to upgrade. I don't need to upgrade now. 
but I do need to do it in a few years' time. Maybe I should do it now because it's a good time. So they're entering the market, so the opportunistic upgrader. So more and more buyers are starting to come back in, but they're reducing their budgets. They're looking at different areas. Um, but also, you know, in parallel to that, as prices fall, sellers also leave the market because they go, well, I'm not going to upgrade if rates are high. Um, I don't want to sell now. It's not a good time. Everyone's telling me that. So what mm. we're seeing is existing numbers across the whole country really collapsed. Spring didn't uh, sprung, I guess. Uh, and, you know, you expect usually in this time of year, you know, listing numbers would go through the roof and that just didn't happen, right? So in some parts of the country, there's really no properties for sale. There's one or two properties for sale in the suburb. Um, and so you've got really tight supply of listing numbers. And these are of good assets, you know, um, and then you've got growing demand and that adjustment's happened. So, Going into 2023, um, we think it's very similar to 2019. So a lot of 2018 was that adjustment year. And then 2019, demand started to build on small number of listings and flaws in markets started to become apparent, right? The properties got repriced at a certain interest rate and borrowing capacities. Um, and then all of a sudden, demand and competition is going to start to build on those small number of properties. And you're going to start to see recoveries in some markets. And we can already see that in our capital cities, some markets where there's really tight supply, like in the housing markets in affluent areas, are now starting to find competition again. Um, now, that's not across the whole country, but you're also going to find areas where um, you've still got lots of listings, like, say, high-density apartments, and there's very little demand. People aren't going to go into big mortgages to buy them because they don't really love them that much. That's what high rates do. High rates make you more picky. Because you go, I don't want to pay a big mortgage to live in that. Um, and so mm. um, it's really a flight to quality. In low rates, everyone's just FOMO. In high rates, people are like, well, I will do it if it's an amazing house and I can see myself long term. But I'm not going to make those compromises. I'm not going to live on a busy road. I'm not going to live something that's dark or it's got privacy problems or needs a lot of work because building crisis, et cetera. So that's a long answer to the question. There's not one market. But it starts to give you a flavour of what we see. We see where competition and where prices are, are more stable and uh, more certain to go up and where the risks are, like the danger zones. We, we can talk you through those. Yeah, it's. Um, I always find it's like really refreshing to talk to you, Chris, because um, like we've spoken about all this before and we, on this, maybe not on this channel, but definitely on the Australian Investors Podcast channel, the series that we did, we warned everyone about uh, like the risks of buying lower quality assets in when things get uncertain there's still the quality assets are still, you know, find that competition there. They've got that, you know, floor because they're so, everyone wants to live there and people do get more picky. But one of the things that's really interesting, Chris, because I know um, like this is something <laughs> because you and Ben, are, you got you and Ben are probably like a bit uh, annoyed at uh, <laughs> us because we haven't refinanced in time um, for this like interest rate increase. But um, for us, like um, I'm curious you know, we've got a mortgage, um, trying to sort that out. But um, I'm wondering, like, if is, is now an interesting time to lock in an interest rate or are you thinking maybe that boat has sailed and now it's hunting for the best variable rate? Like, how do you think yeah. about that? It was probably 12 months ago the, the good fixed rates were around. Um, yeah. You know, you look at bond yields. Um, you know, early this year they started, you know, the three-year bond yields and the, they started to really jump. And then uh, basically banks started lifting fixed rates. Um in fairness, though, those those fixed rates at the start of the year were still pretty good. We were like, "Wow, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't seem that good now," because um, we were like, you know, desensitized to rates fixed rates over two percent because they were under two percent for you know a good twelve months. Um, mm. So yeah, 
even at the start of the year, the good fixed rates, but that ship has definitely sailed now. Um, there are some little, like, um, I guess what's you call little holes sometimes where, you know, you can get a really good one-year fixed rate and that's been a good little bet. So some of our clients we've still been fixing under one year um, hmm. because it's uh, – but overall, yeah, fixed rates are, are probably too high. The, the crazy thing with banks at the moment is that even though the RBO rate's gone up 3%, um, you know, bank uh, variable rates haven't gone up 3%, you know, for new customers. They've probably only gone up about 2.5%. So what that means is that bank margins are getting squeezed um, now more than ever. They're competing because they're not getting as much loan growth, loan book growth, because people are buying and trading. Um, they're, they're having to fight for new customers through refinancing. Um, and what, what they're also doing, which is they've never done this before, is they're repricing existing customers almost as good um, as new customers. So we're going literally through every single client right now um, mm. and asking their current bank to give them a better deal. Otherwise, we're leaving. Um, and usually the bank would say, hang on a sec, you've got your loan fixed. Um, I'm just going to gamble that you're not going to leave. I'll give you a better deal, but I'm not going to give you an amazing deal. Um, but right now, if you call your bank and you say, look, um, I wanna, I'm going to leave, give me a better deal, it's highly likely that they'll give you a rate that's way better than what your current rate is just without refinancing, just over the phone. So that would be my big tip for people right now if you've got yeah. a more call your bank because you'll be blown away with how much you can take off your mortgage um, just through a phone call. Yeah, we had um, someone wrote into us the other day, um, they listened to the show, they're like, we said just give them, give them a call, see what happens. Um, yep. And they got four, they saved 400 bucks a month just by giving them a call. Like it was like, they were like blown away that they could actually just do that and save money. Um, speaking of, Chris, um, we're just chatting off air. It's been a pretty weird kind of year for a lot of people that are new to property markets going through a cycle. And what I mean by that is like even people that have been in property for like 10 years are probably like experiencing a bit of volatility in prices, interest rates going up, which is kind of weird for them. Um, but through all of that, I feel like there would be some green shoots and a lot of people getting good outcomes. So maybe can you maybe share with us uh, a success story that you had in 2022? Yeah, so we... Um we're massive uh, advocates on educating our clients, right? Not just on how to get a loan, getting a good interest rate, but you know, how to structure your loan, you know, to get the best tax outcome longer term, you know, education on how to offset accounts work. But then once you pass all that loan stuff, it's like, actually, what's the right decision for you from a property point of view? So we we would say that our client success stories, when they buy quality assets, like that's, that's who he's getting a loan. That's just like a ticket to the game, right? And getting a good date uh, and structure. We think our role is even greater than that is to educate them on the property market and actually so uh yeah we always get our clients great loan outcomes but when they make great property outcomes is, is awesome the, the irony of this market here is that um it's a uh, been a, a real uh, reduction in prices um but when prices reduce like we said before listings get tighter so it's actually it gets harder to buy good properties because there's less of them on the market people likely sell good properties when they can get a great price 2021 they don't want to sell them in 2022 um yeah. and we've had a number of clients who've been able to buy amazing quality assets at what we consider fair prices um and just because there's less competition and a lot of buyers at the moment are very cautious to make offers so they just want to sit on their hands and you know let's see what happens i'm going to wait for auction um and so there's been a number of clients who have just been able to be on the front foot and saying actually no that's a tick that's a triple a asset I'm just going to make a solid offer and hope that the vendor just doesn't get greedy um, and just takes my offer. Um, and so we've had clients buy on really long settlements for great assets. Um, 
you know. And whereas if they tried to buy that last year, it would have had to go to auction. It would have went way overs. Um, so 2022 has really been an, an opportunity to have a higher chance of securing quality asset if you were patient and persistent um, and actually just made offers. Um, and mm. so we've got heaps of success stories that, you know, we can go through. Another major one was just recently, I mean, stopping a client, um, you know, they were in love with a AAA asset, you know, that just ticks all the boxes, you know, for what's a quality asset. They were so close, you know, they were under 50 grand out. They didn't win it. They nearly felt they wanted a wounded bull, nearly bought the wrong property. We stopped them doing that. And then, you know, a few weeks later, they found another property, which was almost as good as the other one. And they secured that. And so, mm. um, yeah, stories like that, is, is, yeah, they're the different makers for our if, if someone's listening now and they're thinking that 2023 might be the year that they purchase their first home um, or potentially sell and, and buy the next home, what challenges do you see these groups of people facing? And maybe if there's anything people can start doing over the summer to prepare themselves. Um, so the, the first thing is educating yourself, right? So you want to know exactly what you can borrow, what your interest rates are. You want to really understand what you can afford from a cash flow point of view. So know what your fixed expenses are, what your variable are, um, you know, know exactly thinking through your longer term plan, like where are you going to live? You know, what's going to happen with, have these big conversations with your partner. Like, <laughs> are we going to have kids? When are we going to have those things? Like um, those are the things you really want to work on first. Um, and then when you're in the market, then you want to get yourself educated as quick as you can, right? And so you want to be going to as many open homes. You want to be looking at all the sales, um, of previous properties because it takes a while to get your confidence up to actually transact. So, you know, even though the market, you know, it's in December right now and it's really much flat till after Australia Day, like no one really sells their property in January, um, that's a really good time to get prepared. So for brokers, they're actually really busy in January because a lot of people are, you know, getting their ducks lined up and that's the right mm. advice. I would be just be with those first-time buyers and any buyer, to be honest, you just got to be very careful trying to buy into the, I'm going to pick the bottom and, and things like that. Um, because with property markets, you actually got to find the property. Even if it is the bottom, you've still got to go and find it and you've still got to go and buy it. And so it's actually really hard to do. With stock markets, you can just sort of enter the market within minutes. With property market, it could take months. Um, and ultimately, you'll probably miss it because that one property at the bottom went to someone else. And then all of a sudden, you're chasing the market. Um, and you know, you've just, what you want to focus on is the quality assets. Um, and so, yeah, that would be my biggest advice is yeah, get ready, get, get educated. Um, and then once you find the right property, it's trying to secure it, not trying to get too uh, picky and say, Oh, I'm just going to wait another few months to see if I can get something cheaper in a few months. I think that's optimistic thinking. Mm. But pre-approval doesn't last forever, right? Like some, you, uh, have, to, you have to have a certain amount of, it's like a certain window, right? Yeah, it's been a really interesting year for pre-approvals. We um, in the start of it, you know, when the rate increases went up through the roof, um, we just said to our clients, we're really nervous around pre-approvals right now. We just don't trust them. Um, and if you're buying right now, you have to come back to us when you're looking to make offers because we don't want to, you don't assume your pre-approval is going to be valid. Um, and that and turned out to be mm-hmm. right. We, banks basically didn't honour pre-approvals for a period there. They would only honour them if it, they were less than 30 days old, which is you know, not that often, you know, there's no, no, no. a few weeks. Um, and we were redoing numbers all year for clients saying, no, no, you're still fine. I know you're pre-approved, but your capacity is falling 10%. You still want to buy within that. Um, they are lasting 90 days now, which is great because, you know, people have the confidence to buy up to 90 days after they've um, issued, even if borrowing capacity is full, which is interesting. Um, 
Hmm. But yeah, absolutely. And it also, all pre-approvals aren't the same. So you can get automated ones like some banks like Macquarie would do. That's not humanly assessed. They haven't gone through everything in your um, uh, your credit file and a human hasn't ticked it off. Macquarie will do that if you know if you ask it the right way. Um, but yeah, you just got to be careful. Sometimes you, rather than an automated pre-approval that's not actually verified your documents. So if you don't put that information in right, then they find an issue like you could have done your net income, your gross income versus your net income or something like that or not declared a debt or your hex debt or something, um, then that pre-approval isn't valid because no one's checked it. Mm. One of the things, Chris, is we've, we have a lot of, uh, like first-time buyers, as Kate mentioned, um, tuning for the show and looking to make a purchase and uh, want to get on, I guess, with their life. You know, they want to find a house and they want to settle into it for whatever reason. Um, and over the last five to 10 years, the conversation's always been, well, how do I save? Everyone saw the stock market going up and this is probably the first year where it hasn't gone up and they've thought, um, you know, maybe Kate and Owen were right about just not putting the money in the stock market and saving it and, and being sensible, you know, in a bank account or something like that. But I guess because you're the, the expert um, around all things like cash flow and property, how can like people save uh, more effectively? Are there any strategies that they can put in place? Okay. There's definitely, I mean, there's, you can, you can either do two things. You can increase your income, which I would say that's probably your biggest opportunity. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'll just save my way to buy a property. Actually, I think yeah. maybe investing yourself, the more that you can increase your income, the more you can save long-term. So I'd say that's probably my advice to people is invest in yourself, invest in your career um, and your human capital, which will give you more potential ability to save. Yeah. Um, and so once you've done that and you're doing that and, you know, you can't keep on doing that, right, but, then it's a case of just, um, yeah, looking for opportunities to increase your income, whether it's switching jobs or starting business, et cetera. But then you can cut your spending back. But, I mean, there's always a, a line where it's like you've got to, um, you know, still enjoy life and take in experiences. Um, but, you know, but once you've got the, I would say then it's just about automating your life um, yeah. and saying, okay, well, I want to save $2,000 a month. I think one of my... I, I call it the bucket strategy in your mind, mental accounting. It's like a behavioral bias. So let's say your income was $5,000 for a month. Um, if you think you're earning $5,000 a month, you'll spend like you're earning $5,000 a month, right? Because you'll attach that $100 dinner to $5,000, but you're not really earning $5,000 a month. Of your $5,000, you know, $1,500 going on rent. Um, so now your income's only three and a half. Then you've got $1,500 of fixed expenses like food and travel and um, et cetera. So maybe your income's two grand a month, really. That's what you, after you take off your fixed costs. So when you spend your $100 on dinner, it's $100 of 2000 or it's $100 of 1000 You're going to mm-hmm. have a choice of whether that money's valuable. If you've only got 1000 you're spending 100 or that's 10% of your monthly budget that you can spend on that dinner. And I think that's where people... They, they don't feel as rich, right? Because, and then what you would do is the $5,000 you get per month, um, you actually section 4,000 of that off in that scenario. And you would just pay $1,000 to, I don't know, like a bank account that you do your day-to-day spending from. Um, so when that thousand runs out, it runs out. Um, you don't touch that other 4,000 and included in that 4,000 was the saving component, right? Maybe it's to save $1,000 mm. a month. Um, so if you automate that as part of your, your expenses. So, that's how I think the best way to do it is to cut your income up, give yourself a like spending amount per month um, and spend based on that. Your whole mindset will shift because you go, 
wow, I just spent $400 over the weekend on clothes and going out, but only had $800 for the month. Wow, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that again. But if you have $5,000 in your month, that's where you get credit card issues and short-term debt because money goes in, money gets out. Oh, actually, I'll have a credit card. And then all of a sudden, mm. you, you start going backwards. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And if saving your deposit is your number one priority for 2023, then you might have to reprioritize some of your spending in other areas and maybe spend less on going out because you really want to achieve that goal. So um, it's not necessarily you're going to miss out on things, but you're just reprioritizing where you're spending that year. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And substitution of your time, you know, the best things in life are free, to be honest, um, I think. And so it's about sort of can you have just as much enjoyment, but not cost you any money. Um, and sometimes mm. that's just as exciting in itself. I think with the deposit, I think a lot of people put too much pressure on how much they need. Um, mm. Sometimes it's not as much as you think. You know, a lot of people think you need a 20% deposit, but that's not really true, you know. Um, your government have had things like the 5% deposit schemes, which is, you know, you know, there's lots to that. Um, the state government right now have got a no stamp duty up to 1.5 million in New South Wales and there's other exemptions. Um, different industries, you know, you only need a 10% deposit to avoid LMI. LMI isn't, you know, that's different. It's an exponential curve. Like, you you know, if you borrow 85%, the, the cost is much lower than if you borrow it at 95%. So I think it's just an education on the right deposit amount for you based mm. on your life and your situation and what you want to buy. Um, and it might not be as much as you thought, especially with all these other things. Mm. So I guess that comes back to talking to a, a broker or an expert earlier on in that journey so you know what your end point is and it's not just, mm. oh, I just need $200,000 or whatever the deposit is for you. And, Chris, earlier in the episode you talked about the the importance of finding quality properties and I know you and Owen have discussed that on the Investors Podcast, but when you say quality property, what does that look like if I'm looking at properties and trying to figure out what to buy in 2023? Yeah, it's, it's a big question. I'll try to keep it succinct. Um, look, I think when you, you've got to think about it, um, two elements. There's demand and it's very basic, but it's you've got to break it. You know, get your mind in this mindset and you can start to think it through. So you've got to think, like, who's the demand for your property? Who wants to own your property? This property, that any property, right? Who wants to own it? Um, the, the amount of money that they've got and the amount of incomes that they've got really determines its value because that determines how much money they can borrow and how much money they've got for a deposit. So, you know, a property is really a quality asset if it's desirable to someone who's earning some decent money um, and ideally, you know, a couple um, because then you've got more money to borrow um, or someone who's got a bit of money, like maybe someone like a downsizer, for example. Um, so the demand side you've got to really think through because a lot of properties, you know, Maybe they only suit singles. Maybe they only suit, you know, more the affordability part of the market. And, um, you know, high-income families don't want those, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that you've got to really think about the supply, right? So are they going to be building more of what you've just purchased, right? Um, you know, and so you think about a high-density apartment. Can they build more of them? Yeah. You know, house and land package in the fringe. Can they build more of them? Yeah. Like a new townhouse. Can they build more of them? Yeah. So you need restricted supply, Um for the and you also need growing demand and you know the high income families so that's sort of the high level um once you then break it down then you've got like a you've got to go on to a suburb level right and say okay so i'm going to buy in this x suburb the quality properties in that suburb won't be every property because you start ruling some out so you say okay yep high income people are, more and more high income people are moving to this suburb um 
and they actually want to live here for their long term because they've got great schools and family, et cetera. Um, might not be the, the highest, highest income, but they're higher than average. Um, but whereabouts in this suburb do they really want to live, you know? And they'll want to be in a certain pocket because it's got access to the local amenity, it's quiet, it's got, you know, great lots of trees and um and in that pocket in particular, people will live in that pocket and go, I, I don't want to leave this part of the suburb because it's the best part, right? Um, and so no, not many people sell. And, you know, it, it's not a busy road. It's got rat runs. It's not dark or it's got privacy problems or, you know, there's certain parts of the suburb that are less desirable because of, you know, um, you know housing, for, you know, different types of um, social housing and things like that. So there's always a great part of the suburb. So that's the quality part. And then inside that, it's quality streets um, that people really want to be. And then even in those quality streets, there's two sides to that street. You know, there's the one with the maybe a north aspect where the sun hits the back of the property. And then there's the other side of the road, which is south-facing, where the sun hits the front front of the property. Um, so, like, if you think about it, this is how much detail you've got to go to, right? And then when you're in those streets, some of those properties have got weird blocks. Like they're north facing, but it's a triangle block or it's got privacy issues. So you've got to rule those out. And then they've got weird floor plans and maybe they're not uh, got a really ugly frontage or the house is too far back from the, so you, it's like wasted space at the front. So like a quality asset has really got the least amount of compromises for people. So they go in there and go, oh, this place is perfect. It ticks all our boxes. Um, and so, and a really undesirable or less quality property has heaps of compromises, right? It's a busy road. It's dark. It's got privacy problems. We've got no backyard. It's, you know, it's dark, you know, et cetera. Um, so quality assets have really, really desirable to high income families generally and not building more of them. Um, and really those families aren't making any compromises. They just love the properties because in those areas, they turn over like really low. And then people really stretch. They go into a lot of debt to buy those properties um, because it's really their forever homes. Um, mm. so Sounds a bit like a needle in the haystack. <laughs> it is. And that's a, the, one of my first sayings um, is it's hard to buy, but it's easy to sell, right? It mm. should be a lot of work. Like, you know, this is not what most brokers would say. Most brokers just say, you know, go buy a property. It always goes up in value. You know, it doubles every seven years. That's all nonsense, right? Like, but it's actually really the hard yards is buying. It could take you six months. But once you've purchased a good asset, it's really easy to sell. It's really even easy to sell in down markets because mm. even in down markets, not many people are selling quality assets. All of, a, all of a sudden, all the buyers flock to it like a seagull effect. Uh, and all of a sudden, that open home is busy on a Saturday and every other property in the suburb that isn't that great, no one's even going to look at. Um, mm. So great properties are hard to buy. Like you sh- even in down markets, it's difficult um because they're hard to find and hard to negotiate um but they're always easy to sell and that's a real mm. um, like a real ingredient of a quality asset mm. i was just going to say um the one thing if if chris's answer there was a little bit um like there's a lot to it if you if you just remember one thing because um it's the chris's advice there the thing that jumped out to me mate was that just remember who you're selling to. Like you want to be selling to someone that w- wants to pay a lot of money for the property. Um, I think that's that, that's something you taught me when I was going through the process with you. Um, but it's such such good advice to go through all those steps that you just mentioned. Um, and a good broker and a good well, good buyer's agent will will help you with that, right? Like it's not like you're out there on your own. Like you mentioned before, how you stop people buying something, which is probably the the power of 
good advice, right? Not just here's a good asset, but here's how here's don't make a mistake because it's such a big asset in people's lives. Yeah, so we're not buyers agents, but we will, you know, clients send us a property are happy to throw our two cents in just as an education process and say, hey, like, and I'm not looking at the positives. Like the positives should stand out, like East mm, yeah, race, suburb, et cetera. What I'm thinking is what, what's not good? What would buyers not like about this property? Because when you're in love and you're in the suburb, you, you're in your mo- mind emotionally, you make those compromises and you just think, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, I want to live there. So that's, but no, other buyers look at it differently. Um, and so I'm looking and going, oh, I don't think buyers would like that. Oh, I don't think buyers would like that. Mm-hmm. And they're the things that need to be factored into its price. You don't just go and pay a big price for a property that's got compromises that a lot of buyers don't make. Um, and that's where I think a lot of people get, um, they sort of, you know, it's easy. I've been through the process multiple times. Um, you all of a sudden, and just over many months, you get worn down as a buyer. You just start making more and more compromises because you just want the pain to be over. Um oh, yeah. And so what we just do is say, okay, now what would, how would subjectively, how would another buyer look at this? It's got really lots mm. of stairs. It's a really bad block. It's got no parking. Um, families aren't going to like that. It's too close to the train line. That's going to be noisy. I know you said there was no noise, but it has to have, oh, actually, you know what? It's south facing. You know, it's going to be really dark in winter. But it's just trying to look at things from a, an emo- a non-emotive point of view rather than, hey, I just need to solve my, my property pain. Yeah. Yeah, and having a, a sounding board during such an emotional and one of the what biggest financial decisions you're going to make is is always a good idea. And Chris, to wrap up today's conversation, I was wondering if you had you could leave us with some of your biggest tips for first home buyers during the the coming year. Look, I think you you you've got to um if you're a first home buyer, twenty twenty, you know what do you really want? What's the top perfect market for you as someone entering the market? Well. It's when everyone else is really scared and nervous. Um, people, the budgets are reducing, um, prices are falling. Um, sellers are nervous. Sellers are willing to take offers. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not a. You want to have lots of properties on the market. Well, that's tough in any market. To be honest, low listings has been a. a it's getting a problem every year. Percentage of properties selling on the market is actually smaller every year. Um, but so all those things are actually really good for buyers. And so, you know, what you don't want is a twenty twenty one or a twenty twenty type of market or a 2017 or a 2019 even where you've got lots of competition, people are really FOMOs in the market, et cetera. Um, and so I think a lot of people, especially a lot of first-home buyers, they don't want to get it wrong because it means a lot. They've worked really hard to save this amount of money. But you, what you want to realise is that market you're probably buying into is actually really favourable for you right now and it can easily become one of those markets where it's really hard for you because your budget's not enough and you keep missing out and all the good properties keep going for bigger prices and you have to bend up buying a poor asset. So that'd be my advice at the moment is just be really patient and persistent. We're constantly reviewing, renewing pre-approvals for our clients and that's totally fine because that's actually a good thing. That means they're carefully waiting um, and they're being patient. But then you just also got to be persistent. You've got to be in the market waiting, waiting, waiting. Uh, so, yeah, work hard first-time buyers over the next 2023 because listings are absolutely going to be low. Confident, all bad news, not all bad news, a lot of the bad news being factored into prices, you know, buying capacity mm. falls, inflation, et cetera. So, yeah, more further bad news could happen. Inflation outbreak could continue. Rates could keep going up. But you'd have to argue maybe it's, you know, on the tail end of that. Um, and it could easily get good news. could start factoring into prices. Rates aren't going up. Um, tax cuts are coming through. APRA is reducing the serviceability buffer. The stamp duty change. The 
prices are starting to go up, clearance rates are going up. These are all positive things that aren't factored into prices right now could easily start to um, mean you're going to start chasing your tail. Um, so, yeah, mm. good advice. It is. <laughs> no, it is, mate. It is. That's great. I think, to be honest, like for the last 10 years, first home buyers have been saying, for most of the past 10 years, first home buyers have been saying how hard it is um, and everything's kind of against them. Whereas now there's so many things that are potentially going to work in their favor. Um, you said like listings may be a bit of a challenge, but – um, you know, this could be the time where you get more interest on your savings, where if you can maintain your job, because a lot of like first home buyers are typically in the growing part of their career. So they typically can maintain their jobs, um, which means that they still can get some pre-approval and, and look in the market. I think this is an exciting time. So um, I guess the few things that we'll leave folks with is one, if you do need um if you do want to get advice, uh, feel free to reach out to Chris and the team at Wealthful. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes. But also, we've got our free property course, which is probably a great primer over over summer with uh, Chris and Amy Lonardi, so two of Australia's best indeed. You heard it here. Um, so go in there, get the course. It's free. Uh, and you can basically do all like the 101 of property before you meet with someone like Chris or, or Amy because it probably helps them because you'll be able to have a conversation on their level as well. So, Chris, mate, we really appreciate you taking the time out, uh, especially before the busy week, uh, before Christmas. So, mate, uh, if we don't hear from you again, um, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, thanks for taking time to join us on the show. Thank you so much. And have a great Christmas to you both as well and all the listeners out there. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And uh, Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at risk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, 
designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.